Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society radio show right here, coming from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, in the kitchen studios of the Hot Stove Society. And uh, I'm thrilled to be here. My name is Tom Douglas, chef and owner of a few businesses here around Seattle, including Lola right downstairs. You know, the lobby of the new hotel is so spectacular. That's right. And I guess the rooms are, too. I haven't been I haven't stayed in one yet, but if you want a staycation, come down and join us here at the Hotel Andra. Um, I am joined by... Terry Rotterrode, Chef in a Hat. Hello, Tom. Hello, Monsieur Rotterrode. How is nice to be here with you and I catching know. up on uh, our life once a week. Once a week. It's always a fun time. Um, quick side note, I had uh, breakfast Sunday with my wife. We never, ever go out for breakfast. That's a true thing. We always have it at home. But we went to the uh, Dahlia Bakery and enjoyed the croissant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I asked for a little jam, and they gave me some berry jam. OMG, that croissant is definitely top-notch. Good. Absolutely outstanding. We also had the almond croissant, and we had a little breakfast sandwich, and we nice. shared. And what was, a nice way to start the day. You know what we day. have over there now that I've been kind of noshing on is the mushroom pativier. Ah. Yeah. I'm going to try that next. I didn't even know how to I've say already, the word before and, that. And I looked at those uh, cinnamon roll frozen in the case, and I almost bought the six. <laughs> and I was like, no, you can't. That's not on your diet line. <laughs> I already had the croissant. I was like, that's enough. We have a very busy show today. Peak of the season uh, visit with the winter squash, baked, fried, or boiled. Uh, slow roasted leg of lamb. Uh, I had a class uh, two weeks ago at the hot stove where we did leg of lamb. And um, I did it two ways. One on the bone. Medium rare and one slow roasted, well done. Then you started way before the class? Yeah. Yeah. Especially since my leg of lamb was rock solid frozen. I'm the one <laughs> on the bone. Uh, cr- the crunchiest croutons. My wife makes the best croutons. I challenge anyone to make a better one. Uh, peppercorns, white, black, pink, green. They're all out there. What should you be using? Uh, winter warming cocktails today. It is that time where we're ready for spring, so ready for spring. And if not, and we're going to take a warming cocktail. <laughs> yeah, it's still not here. Uh, love stinks. Uh, we have a big event coming up here at the Hot Stove on Valentine's. If you're ever interested in fancy, stinky cheeses, you know, some are going to be stinky, some not. You don't have to get freaked out by it. But we thought it would be a funny Valentine's thing, love stinks. And Pamela is going to shepherd us, shepherd folks around here. Is that true? Exactly. It's going to be, be here too. Yes, we're going to have a sheep in the house. It. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a very convivial uh, walking to different tasting stations. Five stations of different cheeses. Sounds fun. Lovely yeah. with little bits and drizzles and bobs and jams and this and that. So uh, that's always uh, a good time here. The last time I did a walk around here as a class was the Julia Child birthday. Oh, yeah. Uh, walk around that we do every year, except last year when we had to cancel because of COVID. Uh, and lastly, we're going to round out our show with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. It's going to be super fun. Don't miss it. Uh, <laughs> Chef, uh, what is your taste of the week? My taste of the week is um, Kathy made a wonderful, for the first time, she made a wonderful oxtail broth, but uh, f- she wanted to make it far style. So... You know, give it little star anise and uh, all kind of spices, you know, more to make it into a first style. But first, she browned the pieces of oxtail. By the way, oxtail is very expensive now, so make sure, make sure you uh, 
you buy it and use all of it, which I don't see why you would not, but I almost want to eat the bone because they're so big. But seal the pieces of, um, of uh, oxtail and then add uh, star anise, uh, coriander, um, cinnamon. cinnamon, and then a nice little chicken uh, stock broth. And then bring that down and cook all the oxtail. Take the oxtail out. And then at the last minute, add um, Thai, Thai basil, grated ginger, and um, what's the last thing I'm missing? Oh, the uh, soya. Uh-huh. And uh, put all that together as a, as a broth like a pho. And then, and then uh, rice glass noodle. Mm, lovely. It was so delicious. Sounds delicious. Oh, love you a know, good bowl uh, of pho. I had, my taste of the week is... Uh, I didn't make it. Chef Stacy made the date cake that uh, we served down at Lola, and I served it at my lamb class uh, two weeks ago. And it's just like sticky toffee pudding, which is a favorite of mine. I have it in Scotland when I go there. I think our our golf club in Scotland makes the best version I've ever had. Had the date cake, and uh, we were here with uh, 30, 30 some people in the room, and I've been so into Lagavulin scotch lately, and. Uh, so I brought some up here to, uh, for the class, and I, it's 11-year-old scotch, right? that really smoky kind of scotch sure, a lot of people sure. hate that they won't drink, but it's, I love the character of it, and it's aged in sherry cask. Mm-hmm. It just struck me, God, this would be great with my sticky toffee pudding. So I tried the two together, spectacular. It was a match made in heaven. And I find it fairly rare when you find two things like that, a beverage and a food product, that are perfectly Perfect, yeah. matched, yeah, right? Yeah. And that that has to do with the salt content, sweetness, sure. smokiness, the velvety texture of that Lagavulin on your palate. Right. There was so much. And the finish on the, uh, at the end. After yeah, so much going on there. It was spectacular. Wow. The last time I had that match was uh, in your part of the world, in, in Nantes, where I had a soft-ripened chevrita or like uh-huh. a goat brie. Right. With a Vouvray. Oh, yeah. And it was like magic. Yeah. Uh, right? That Chenin Blanc and yeah. the Vouvray Chenin was Blanc, magic. Yeah. Super dry. And so when you come across those perfect food and beverage matches, I find it really rare. Yeah. I find things that work together. Some things work together good. Some things work together okay. okay. But perfect is rare. And so that was my taste of the week. It was wow. a perfect match. Lagavulin, 11 years, sherry cask. Smoky peaty scotch and date. with a little sticky toffee pudding. Mm. Wow! My oh my! Mm. Would you would you try that? I'm very surprised by it. That, uh, but you didn't try it, did you? No, no. We have to try that together. They have it downstairs on the Lola Bar, so that's where I got it from. Uh, up next, it's peak of the season winter squashes. Uh, we're going to debate uh, hard skin squashes for spectacular results. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen. My name is Tom Douglas. And mine is Terry Rotiro with lime in my mouth. We've been doing this show for a long time, and we always are still surprised when we come across ingredients that just kind of knock our socks off. Last week, we had Mehdi Bujrata with his new line. Bujrata. Yeah, of spices. So we're still eating them. Uh, and now I took some of his uh, charmula. charmula and put it on some sliced roasted lamb. So mm. tasty. Um, winter squash. It's that time. This is why we grew them all summer long. This is why we stashed them in our root cellar. 
let them harden, you know, let the shells harden on them. And that's what kind of a, it becomes, right, the shell of the butternut or anything. That's what protects that squash for the long winter trolley yeah. that it's been on. And so now it's time to eat them. We're getting down to it. We don't want to start have them in April. No. Right? We're, you also don't want them to rot in your cellar either. Right. So, so it's time to eat them. What are you, uh, you going to do with your winter squash? Well, actually, yesterday I roasted some roasted whole butternut squash, which is one of my favorite squash because of texture and flavor. Um, squash is hard to come by with a lot of flavor, but butternut squash is one of those things and I love making soup with, and I love making um, to have it baked like a baked potato. So you take a, a, a whole squash... And I throw it in the oven just like that, 350 degrees, and 45 minutes later, my timer goes off. And usually, depending on the size, you know, I, I poke with my knife and see if it's, my knife goes through yet uh, easily. And then I pull the squash out of the oven, and then I cut it in half lengthwise, throwing some olive oil, a little bit of spice. Like, for example, in this case, I haven't done that yet, but after I've tried it last show, I want to try that uh, rub that you just made, the, the citrus rub that you just made, um, and put that on top of a squash, and then throw it in the oven under the broiler to give it a nice little roast, you know, just to give it a, a little roast on the spice, and then pull that off, and then the big nugget of butter, break down with a knife, cut down all that squash in the middle, put in the butter in small pieces in there so it can melt and incorporate in there with that spice rub, and then... Eat that by the spoon because that's delicious. Yeah, it's good fun. I mean, I th- you, you think about sweet potato baking. I love that too. It's the same kind of concept with the butternut squash. It's just a bigger piece so you can share it with somebody else. But the meat can be so delicious. I mean, it's got a sweet to it. It's got a nice palate forming, you know, when it's cooked all the way. It's really nice palate to it. But you could also add things like that chomula you just put on your lamb. That'd be a great thing to add on, to a, on top of a butternut squash that's right. totally ready, like a baked potato idea. I mean, that would be easy to put that kind of stuff. So, so I think of uh, butternut squash kind of lasting. I think of acorn squash uh, in the same way, right? right. It really right. does the same thing. I grew up with it in my family's house of having, you know, my mother would cut them in half, seed them, turn them upside down in a pan with a little bit of water and bake them. And then she would turn them over once they were done and put the brown sugar and butter in the center. Oh, wow. And then uh, finish cooking them so all the kids just love that. Yeah, of right? course. That's easy hit for children. I still love it to that, that way to this day, and I made it for my daughter a few times, and she, she loves it. It's, it's a no-brainer. But there's so much more savory things you can do with that acorn squash that it becomes its own course. Right. Right? You can have a squash instead of making a soup or doing anything. Just do something like dates and walnuts, toasted pistachios, anything within that squash cavity, and you have a beautiful little starter salad uh, for your dinner. Cheese. Cheese. So nice. Mm -hmm. Some some nice, even some blue could go well with, if you have a butternut squash that's roasted, Uh all the way, and you put blue at the last minute in it and finish that in the oven, you have some nice contrast of like super sweet, dense, um, nice palatable vegetable with some blue cheese melted into it. It's like too extreme, and that works really well. And you can also use that as a spread. Right. You could spread that on top of a nice uh, toasted country bread, you know, something with a nice, nice hot to it, and make a beautiful tartine. Uh, the other thing with winter squash that's fun to do is you take the bigger ones, like the curry squash, and you take them and you 
slice them like you would a um, piece of pie or a, or you know just into wedges uh-huh. and then caramelize the wedges. You don't have to peel them. You don't have to do anything because if it's not an edible skin, you can just simply not eat the skin when you're eating the squash. So again, a great base, a side vegetable for uh, roast beef or right. or whatever you're making, roast chicken. Uh, that becomes a side vegetable, or it becomes the base of a goat cheese and hazelnut right. salad with with caramelized squash uh, right. underneath of it. There's little, a little bit slivers of, of radicchio for bitterness, right? Uh, yeah. Delicious. I mean, the delicata is a definitely a, a nice grilling um, squash. Do they those last all winter? I've not tried to keep them. I don't no, think they do, no. no. They start to deteriorate yeah, now. Yeah. That's why we need to move to the butternut, because right. they are considered the... Thin skinned, they don't harden off as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the delicata does not make it through the, the whole winter, but it's one definitely that also is good sliced and grilled. Add to any salads, you know, as a, as a composition of a salad. It's a great, I think squash and nuts goes really well together, you know, toasted nuts, um, almond, pecan, and hazelnut goes really well with pureed squash or um, even grilled squash. Mm-hmm. Um, goat cheese. It's one of my favorite cheese to put onto any squash because it's easy to just have the two together, not fighting each other too much. Um, wild like, rice. Wow. I love squashes with uh, stuff of wild rice. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little sausage mm. to give it some fat. And you can do a nice curry, um, rice curry with cubes of um, butternut squash. And you caramelize in a pan like Tom was doing earlier. You just take that and caramelize the cubes, finish them in the oven so they're cooked, and then you throw them into your curry um, as a nice garnish, you know, so a nice vegetable. More of a meatless curry. That becomes yeah, kind yeah. of the center of the curry. Correct. Yeah. And then you have a nice rice curry with that, you know, cardamom and all kind of nice, beautiful flavor, coconut milk, and then have that whole thing together. Mmm. I like that. Yeah, you see a lot of pumpkin uh, curry recipes. Yeah. Another but, one, another squash I had forgotten about. Right, but, but isn't isn't the best um, wintering squash? I don't. Think. It doesn't. I don't think it doesn't, it, hold, it, it doesn't well. hold as well. You know what does is Hubbard squash, and it's yeah. a, Hubbard squash is the one you see in many of the grocery stores. Although I haven't seen it lately, I wonder if it's because of COVID. But uh, you see it wedged up. There's such a big squash that they sell it just in a little slab, and it's got that beautiful orange meat. Yeah, and it cooks up just like butternut, and it's delicious. It's, right. it's oh, you're uh, right. I haven't seen Hubbard this year. I have year. not seen it in the stores. Uh, but anyway, that's a squash that kind of gets overlooked a little bit as right. squash because it's sold differently. But it's a it's a delicious little treat when uh, when you do. Yeah, get it. I mean, make, making a. I mean, it's this is the time of the year where you go to the store and you buy a Hubbard, you buy a butternut squash. You know, you cube all these things and you saute them and put them into a pan and put them in the oven, finish to bake them. You have a wonderful mix of different squashes, and you can add that to just about anything. Make a stew from that on the side that you can add the squash to. Or even a salad. We were talking about salads earlier. Same thing with mushroom. You could do sauteed mushroom. Mix that with all your cubed uh, caramelized squash. And you have, you know, dollop of goat cheese right on top, some fresh herbs right on top, and you have... A nice drizzle of Moroccan olive oil on yeah. top of that. <laughs> yeah. If you're making a Moroccan tagine, mm, uh, that squash al honout that we had last week, or or uh, anything even harissa, like that, you put a little put harissa in there. Yeah, you put the, the, the roasted lamb in there and the squash on the side, and uh, you have a nice little tagine. So, super fun deliciousness uh, right here on the Hot Stove Society show. 
uh, we always have some favorite uh, recommendations. Speaking of which, uh, when we come back, it's going to be croutons. I'm sick and tired of getting lazy croutons in restaurants. You know what I mean by that, Chef? Yes. The okay. one you open when the we bag come with. back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name's Tom Douglas. And mine is Thierry Rotiro, the chef in a hat. We're coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra here in downtown Seattle, the Hot Stove Kitchens. Uh, chef. Yes, sir. I was reminded again last night how nice it is to get a decent crouton on my salad in a restaurant. And what reminded you of that? I was over at... Um, Wilmont's Ghost over uh-huh. there by uh, in the spheres you know, in the Amazon spheres. There's, right. uh, Renee Erickson's got a two little restaurants there. One is uh, called Wilmont's Ghost, and the other is Deep Di- uh, Deep Dive. Deep Dive, yeah, which is more of a bar centric. I think you can get a little bite or two in there, but it's more bar centric. Anyway, had a ridiculous salad. Now I will say her ridiculous salad was ridiculously large. If you love ridiculo, this is the salad to get. Like my wife loves ridiculo. Pamela loves ridiculo. But it was so massive. That and was it just radicule? Uh, it was a couple of different escaroles, you know, okay. a couple of, if I remember right, a couple of different things, but mostly radicchio, treviso and radicchio and right. blah, blah, blah. So, but nice dressing on it. I loved the little touch of mint that was in it uh, and a nice crouton, a nice warm crouton on top, right? Uh, freshly made. Freshly made. I am frustrated with the state of croutons in our world. When you go out to even, I know, I know, I'm just being nitpicky, and I know that not every restaurant can do a nice, fresh, warm, toasted crouton, but we could make a little bit better effort, maybe, on some of the croutons I out think, there. I think, especially at home. Yeah, at home it's easy. There is no excuse in at a home. funny way. At home it's easy because yeah. in a restaurant it's a little bit more difficult. You got forty Caesar salads going out to make warm, fresh croutons every time, like we do at Carlisle Room. We make our croutons. Five batches at a time, right? Five salads worth at a time in a saute pan. And then uh, when that's done, we make another batch of right, five so right. that they're nice and fresh and warm and toasty and greasy and oily and herby and garlicky and all the deliciousness that you want out of a crouton. It's, but, ha- it's hard to have anything on the menu that is enough to thought. And that's, that's what the crouton becomes in many places. Yes. It becomes enough to thought. And a delicious crouton makes a salad. Mix wherever you're using it, it's like so delicious. Right. You use a crouton that's old or that's been not fried in the right way or not fried in the right oil. Or, I mean, it's been it, sitting in a box in your in your yeah, or like cupboard three, three, three days three later, months. they're still yeah. using the same crouton, yeah. and you're like, so. I guess I don't want to rant this whole segment. I want to give people the opportunity to make a better crouton we are going to release the crouton from its servitude (laughs) from its servitude of pepperidge farm box (laughs) and dried out nonsense so can we get rid of the idea that you have to start with stale bread yes absolutely we we have this conversation about stuffing all the time but let's get out of the habit of using stale bread you know what stale bread is it's old bread it's starting with stale bread okay use fresh bread delicious (laughs) Even if it's just bought for the crouton, Correct. fresh bread. Right. Uh, then, for me, my wife makes the best croutons. So I follow her lead on this, which is 50% olive oil, 50% butter into a pan, yep. and a good amount. Mm-hmm. If the crouton, crouton can't soak it up, 
it'll stay in the bottom of the pan. Correct. But you don't want to leave a crouton that is thirsty for more fat. Correct. Right? You want a perfectly sated Imbibe. All right? So olive oil, butter. She puts whole sprigs of thyme into there. If she, whatever herb she has around, like rosemary. a little bit of rosemary, but not too much. Uh, salt, pepper into this olive oil butter. Slivers of garlic, right? And uh, she kind of goes low and slow. And now we get to the bread. We have a fresh loaf of bread that she either tears or makes little croutons. You know, I don't love square croutons. Right. If you're using fresh bread, I can live with it. To make square crouton, you have to waste bread. <laughs> yeah, well, That's what my dad would say. Only if you take the crust off. But, but if they're all perfectly square, yes. You're, the you crust are, is good. Yeah, the crust is good. So a nice... Fresh bread, soft, fresh, delicious. I'm not talking about France, Wonder Bread, or right. anything like that. I'm talking about a nice rustic baguette or country bread or something. Cut into what? Three-quarter of an inch would be probably my size. Or torn into smaller pieces. Right. And then saute in that mixture. The yeah. mixture is most important. Right. Saute in the salt. Remember, let's go back. Half butter, half olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, slivers of garlic, Whole things of fresh herbs, yeah. right? Okay. Now you're going to gently saute your croutons. And you're going to do it long enough that they start to brown. Correct. Right? And you might have to pull your garlic out at this point. Because right. it's done its job. Right. We're not looking for garlic croutons. Correct. We're looking to season the butter, olive oil, fat mixture. Right? Correct. Now we're going to saute the croutons. Right? And they're going to soak up the fat. And they're mm-hmm. going to get brown around the edges and crunchy on the outside. But th- what's going to happen? They're still going to be soft. Correct. And a little bit chewy on the inside, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just set them aside for when you're ready. You set them on a, in a warm place. And a bit of salt? While you're making your... Yeah, there's already salt in there. A little, you, they were sitting in a warm place while you're making your salad. Correct. And make a delicious Caesar, right? Use real Reggiano Parmesan. Yeah. Roost but, anchovy paste. Sure. Now, when you make your salad... And we're talking about the ultimate crouton here. Right. When you make your salad, so many people take that crouton and then just pop them on the top. That's not the way to do it. You take that warm crouton, you put it right in with the rest of your salad ingredients, including some cheese. Toss if you it want around. It cheese. You toss it, the croutons with the dressing. The crouton needs to pick up the flavor. It's it not needs just to a be piece dressed. Of fried bread. Yeah. So now we toss, toss, toss. You put on the plate, and then when you're plating your salad, you simply wait to plate the croutons. You know they'll fall to the bottom of the bowl. And then finish your salad with the dressed croutons right on top. Eh. If you're lucky, they're still a tad warm. Uh, it'll change your life. It would, at least it won't be cold. and they won't It'll have... change your life. You will never buy a Pepperidge Farm crouton again. Amen to that. All right. I am... Do you have any better thoughts on it? No, no. I'm not touching that. There's like, to me, I just think it's important to, um, back again, the oil, the butter, Seasoning is the most important part. That's how you flavor your crouton correctly. And yeah, don't be shy. I mean, toss it. What are you doing? You're frying a piece of bread. Yeah. What are you afraid of frying something? Are you afraid of the oil? The oil is nothing but delicious oil. By the way, that oil doesn't boil. It just goes up to temperature so it can actually absorb the time to release. Well, it does boil a little bit in a way because the way of the butter turns a little bit brown, right? Correct. So it's, uh, but it's not boiling. Way, it's, it's like... Uh, it's just high heat. Yeah, it's uh, yeah just, a little yeah. bit higher heat. But it's only medium heat. You never get yeah, higher yeah, than yeah, medium yeah. heat. And just enough to release the, the time and, you know, so the, the, mm-hmm. the flavor comes out. The only things you can do wrong, you can burn the croutons and you yeah. can burn the garlic. 
Well, you right? could also so you just pull it. That's why it's in slices, so you can pull it out. And if you're making a bigger batch of that, you could also strain it, strain the whole thing. You still have the flavor in the oil, and then use the oil just as is to do the crouton with that. You know, you don't need to keep any of that stuff in the oil if you don't want it to, to stay in there or if you've already cooked it for a little while. And if you have leftovers, you can reuse it the you know, next day or the next few mm-hmm. days. Keep it in your fridge, and it will melt down just like it, just like it is to start. Yeah. So I want everyone, uh, Sean, how much time do we have? I want everyone to look at your radio right now, right, or your podcast uh, source or wherever you are, and I want you to put your hand over your heart, and I want you to take the pledge with me. I pledge. I I pledge. I pledge. That I will forever, Forever. the rest of my days. The rest of my days. The rest of my life. Make fresh bread croutons make fresh bread croutons like my lovely wife Jackie makes them like your lovely wife Jackie makes and serve them dressed in your salad ooh even better serving dressed dressed (laughs) in my salad and preferably still warm when they get to the table oh Oh, preferably still warm yes when they get to the table I swear to that and by the way if you're if you're making onion soup, take a bunch of those croutons and sit it right on top of your onion soup. soup. Grated cheese, put that under the salamander. Pooh! Yeah, those, those fresh croutons like that work beautifully. That's what we're doing at Carlisle right now. We have onion soup on the menu for yeah. the first time, and we're doing those croutons in Ooh, the I got to go soup. try that. Yeah. Well, I don't you know if onion soup on the menu. You make a fine onion soup. I was gonna... It's delicious. I had it the other night for dinner. Just reminded me we're going to a concert, and we had... Wanted to get a dinner, but they moved the concert to August, so. I was wondering when your world-famous bread salad, mm-hmm. was that a, is there a slightly different treatment necessary to the bread, or do you make a crouton so the way you describe that, first? Our bread salad, what made it spectacular, I thought, was we take country bread, and we oil it, but not like as much as we just put on the croutons. Because the bread is the base of the salad, and then we char it on a wood fire. Oh, that's right. And bread it's takes up wood. that smoke so and what made quickly. And what made it wood famous is because the size of it. <laughs> yes. And also, we, we dressed that bread with the, with the pesto vinaigrette that we would make for that. And uh, so it was moist and delicious, and uh, I liked that salad a lot. We called it the Tuscan bread salad. Miss it like crazy. Okay, slow roasting. Can you cook a entire leg of lamb from frozen? What do you think, Chef? When we come back on Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society radio show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen. It's Chef in the Chapeau. Monsieur Rotureau. And Tom Douglas at your service. We are going to uh, talk about roasting uh, lamb. Uh, We don't really talk about dry roasting very much on this show. I don't know why. We... People, it just doesn't seem like people make big roast anymore, but uh, I grew up with them because we had a family of 10 eating every night, so my mother could make a roast of anything, right? Yeah, so. and, I, and I think in the world we live in today, people always complain that they don't have enough time to cook, so I think, you know, taking a whole leg of lamb and roasting it, and just so everybody is well aware of this, for those of you who don't know, a leg of lamb is not that big. It's not like... The one I have was really big. It's <laughs> <laughs> it was 12 pounds. Ah, that's a that's a that's a hefty lamb. That's a hefty leg of lamb. It's not yeah. a lamb anymore. It's almost like a mutton. <laughs> no, but a leg of lamb is not that giant. I mean, think about it as you know, twelve pound. If you take the bone out, you're not ten pound. But it's if also you, when you think about it with the shank on, it is uh, about close to twenty four inches long. So that right. meat is spread out over a long ways. Unlike Correct. say a 
turkey where it's in the round or right. a prime rib, which is super solid, right? right? So. But you can find a leg of lamb in most store. You can find a leg of lamb in the net, boned out, and it's like, you know, four pounds. Yeah, and so let's talk pound. about that. So uh, anymore, it's hard to find a whole leg bone in. Correct. Right? That's, right? A, that's, uh, the, that's the issue I'm talking really, about. It's difficult to find. So we had a class uh, last week or two, um, and... Uh, Chef Annie ordered in the lamb for the class, and I wanted the bones to make stock with, and I wanted a, a whole lamb bone in so I could show how to bone a lamb. Right, right. So I get here for my class, and we hadn't opened the boxes yet, and my four lambs that came boneless because they had sent us some bones, and then uh, and it's like you get at the store, right? It's got the net on it, right, and, right. and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. I may do, uh, but then my bone in lamb leg came absolutely rock solid frozen and it's now 1:30 my class starts for the at four, day of my class starts at 4:30 oh wow and i'm supposed to bone out this lamb for class right so no way it's not going to work so i turn the oven on to 325 convection so i had the hot air going sure. and i put the whole leg in the oven frozen rock solid and uh, about an hour into it uh, i look at it and it's starting to it's melting right you can right. it's not melting but the fat on the outside is glistening, and it's, it's lost its deep freeze. Right. So now I can season it. I had made a little paste of all the different herbs that we have, garlic, salt, pepper, a lemon juice, and I made a paste. And so then I put the paste on the you know, one-hour cooked lamb. True. Then I put my mushroom rub on top because that class was cool. calling for the mushroom rub. So I put it back in the oven. and I, So I checked it. It was still frozen in the center, but the outside was starting to cook. And we've had Kenji Lopez Alt on the sure, show, right? Sure. He's he's the one who kind of convinced me. Matter of fact, we had him just two weeks ago. Uh, convinced me that going from rock solid from the freezer to the oven was okay, or even to the stovetop is okay. You just have to change how you cook a little bit. So, right. put it on low. Two hours into it, I could get my thermometer all the way into the wow femur bone, the leg bone, right? Really, the shank was already looking like it was almost cooked. Wow, uh, because that's the smaller end of the sure, sure. Three hours into it, I said, I might have to pull this out before class even starts. Because I was already at 125. Wow. Uh, well, yeah, but oh, you were trying to look for rock medium rare? solid 12-pound roast. But you forget how fast things can change cook, in yeah. the oven, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a funny way, because the center is cold, you can keep the center much more rare than you might if it was warm or like room temperature yeah. when it yeah, yeah. went in, right? Because then you couldn't get the brown on the outside. But now my outside was perfectly brown. My inside was at 125, perfect medium rare. And I pulled it out of the oven in time for to sit down for the people. In Let class. it rest really well. From rock solid frozen. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. And then you bond it out and then it was perfect no, medium just, rare? Our class was about a well-done lamb like my mom used to okay. cook. She used yeah, to cook let- it on the bone, but always well done. Yeah, right? sure. More like what you were talking Correct. about earlier, low yeah. and slow. 12 How long hours. would you take to do a low and slow bone-in? 12 hours. is it's, There's a recipe called a 12 hours lamb. Mm-hmm. And uh, you take a leg of lamb and you cook it for 12 hours at about 250 in the oven. And it comes out. It's like the meat is falling off the bone. It's you're like not slicing. Greek style, right? You're not slicing this. You're, yeah. you're pulling it. You know, just like you would <coughs> a goat if you were cooking it all the way down. <coughs> then you're pulling the meat off. That's what you're doing with that. You're not you're not slicing this in a on a beautiful platter. This is a meat that pulls out. Mm-hmm. So it pulls out all at one piece. If it's on the bone, <clears throat> you pull big chunks and you put that on the platter, 
And then people take that out and then mix that with either, like where I come from, we like to have it with beans and butter and, um, you know, a good pot of beans and some butter, lots of butter. And then the, 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 the lamb pulled on top of that with a little bit of harissa. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Man, you put that on a piece of country bread that's been toasted in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> so delicious. So good. I could eat that every day. Uh-huh. So good. Isn't it funny how you, like my mom always roasted it on the lamb on the bone and always served it with mint jelly, right? We always right. had it at right. Easter, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. It's funny how you grow up with just certain traditions, unlike the way you and I cook, right. which is, God, I saw this recipe. I'm going to try that. Or right. I, you know, it's, like, it's, it's funny. Your mom made it probably the same way her entire life. Oh, Probably yeah, no, still of course, making it of the same way, yeah. Yeah, and, and, but it, it's not, and there was, to me, I think that lamb is rare or medium rare or whatever. That's one style and that's one type of meat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, honestly, when you get to a, a leg, most of the leg is pretty tough. I mean, it's got fibers, it's got muscles. It's great to cook it all the way. It does, that's why it does so well in stews. That's why it does so well in, you know, it holds together itself and obviously full of flavor. But you can actually eat it, and it's tender to your teeth yeah. as opposed to, you know, something that you can't chew. If you cook a leg of lamb medium rare, you better have the best part of the lamb, the leg of lamb, because there are some part of the leg of lamb you cannot chew. Like the shank. <laughs> yeah, you can't chew that when it's medium yeah. rare. There's no way. So when you're in a grocery store now and you buy a leg of lamb, typically you're only getting half the leg. Correct. You're not getting right? the shank. So you, it, <laughs> it's a different department. And uh, it's been boned out. The hip bone is out and the femur bone is out. And typically it's got a net around it. Yeah. So for me, I like to pull that net off. Me too. And then uh, I know you love to, uh, to butterfly it further. Correct. I take out the little uh, sacks, the... Uh, glands that are in there yeah. and then i butterfly it marinate it put it on a charcoal grill if you want to st- stuff it and cook it as a whole roast i still personally take off the net and then i'll make a paste or something for the inside and then i'll go back and tie it with yeah. butcher twine right uh two reasons right season leave the net on when you pull it off you pull off all the deliciousness that's accumulated when you roast the Correct. lamb right yeah because it's hard to get that net off without taking the outside of the lamb Correct. off. Whereas if you just put a couple of ties with butcher twine, it's easy to leave the brown right. seasoning on. The other thing is leave the fat on it. Right. Uh, there's not enough. It, it renders out and becomes crispy when you roast it. Correct. Especially well done. Correct. And um, it's not enough. It's not like a brisket fat, which right. it's an inch thick, right? It's just a quarter to a half inch thick in a very few parts. Yeah. So leave it on and let it, uh, let it go. No, I'm totally with you, Tom. I think it's exactly, and I, I like to butterfly it, so I can get that crispiness on all sides, whether I'm grilling or whether I'm searing, you know, so I can get more crust, and more crust is better than anything else. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's how I like my lamb. But, and when I do the leg of lamb like this, it's always, I never cook a leg of lamb less than medium. You know, it's always medium or more, mainly because I like to, you know, not have to spend hours chewing on a piece of lamb. Yeah, and you want to accentuate that nice lamby flavor. If yeah. it's too raw, yeah. you, you don't get that pungency. Correct. Super fun. Let's talk about peppercorns when we come back. There is some confusion in the marketplace. White, black, green, pink. What do you use? What do you choose? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, everybody, let's talk peppercorns right here on the Hot Stove Society Show. We know you're confused. We know you don't want to lose out. We want you to get the right peppercorn for the right project that you're working on. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And a little bit more note on that. 
Peppercorn does not live forever. It's just like any other spice or any other condiment. You know, if you've had the same jar of peppercorn in your house for three years, you should probably buy a new one. Uh, go to Spice Market and, you know, buy half as much and change it more often. Yeah, it's so tempting when you see them at Costco in the one-pound jar, you know, yeah. and then you realize that most people take two or three years to get through yeah. that peppercorn. I mean, they do, they do last, but I'm just... They last, but they're peak not... pungency is not three years later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I was fortunate in, enough in my life to have gone to India, central India, in the Kurg Mountain and stayed in a farm, in a coffee farm, actually, and... Uh, for the first time in my life as a chef, and I don't know how many chefs have actually seen that, but I saw peppercorn on the vine just growing on the tree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are those berries? And they're like, oh, that's peppercorn. And I saw them process the black peppercorn. So black peppercorn, um, it's the same berry for black peppercorn than it is for white peppercorn. And for the, green. Uh, no, it's a different berry for the green, I think. Oh, no, you're right, for the green. But the white, the, the black peppercorn is the unripe berry that they take, they put it on, where I saw it, they put it on a giant concrete pad and they leave it in the sun and then they cover it up at the end. But that's what gives you your black peppercorn. So it's an unripe berry that is basically sunburn, if you want to, or sun roasted. And it's got the skin on it, right? It's got the the skin skin on it, the whole thing, which is also why it gives, it's also um, in science, I don't remember how many days it takes for a body to get rid of peppercorn, but it's huge. It's like, you should check that out because I think it's... You mean to digest it and yes, pass it through? to pass it through. It's a very long time. Um, but anyway, back to the white. The white is the same berry, just more ripe. And then what they do is they soak the berry for, for quite some time, like a couple of weeks, I think. And then they take the berry out and t- remove the skin that's on top, easily removed. They remove the skin, which is why, by many chefs' standards, the white peppercorn is considered a little bit more delicate because it's not quite as strong and as... Uh, muscular as I guess as the black peppercorn it's a bit more delicate of a of a peppercorn and then of course I've never seen the process of green peppercorn they're just a a, Pamela you looked this up they're just an unripe Unripe. black peppercorn right yeah the black peppercorn is unripe also according to our research but the green one is just a young version of. but the green one is not sun-dried it's It's just straight put up into a jar where the where the uh, the black is really sun-dried now, I've never loved white peppercorns because to me, they just eh, they don't have the pungency that I'm looking for. So and I when I was uh, a young chef and uh, being taught this or that, a lot of times uh, chefs would use the white peppercorns when they didn't want the black pepper to show up. They would use it in velouté or they'd use it in hollandaise or they'd use it in some sort of fish preparation where they didn't want the black Correct. specks of black very, pepper. Very right? often on fish, especially white fish especially things like scallops and stuff like that, you used white pepper to not be... The number one reason was not just the color, was the pungeness of the black peppercorn was supposed to be like more for the meat and for the, you know, the, the rough stuff or the rugged stuff. And then the white peppercorn was to be used on like beautiful fresh langoustine or, you know, if you're making things like that, you just use a little bit of that white peppercorn to be gentle to the seasoning. Mm-hmm. And of course, yes, that got into the bechamel with white because you d- I'm like bechamel. You don't want the black specks. Bechamel yeah. is like who cares? It's like, oh, you know, you have black specks, and I'm like, well, yeah, but 
Well, that's the way a lot of things were at the you Correct. know, and, at the time, and still that's are the, sometimes. That's, that's the know, way it is. Yes, our visuals rather yeah. than and any other importance. I think black peppercorn in bechamel is perfectly fine and actually serves a better purpose because bechamel is flour and water and butter. I'm like, I mean, uh, milk, not water, and it, I'm like, you know, you don't have much flavor there. It's a pretty base blend, mm-hmm. you know. So putting black peppercorn definitely gives it a little. Now there are times, um, you know, I argue with my buddy Emerald sometimes about. You know, I feel like in his show, he often said to Americans or to his watchers that if some is good, more is better. And that's that's always a problem for me. Right. Right. Uh, that tends to be an American issue uh, when you in our cooking it is. In, in a lot of in a lot of things. Right. Because we can. I understand. So it tends <laughs> to be. But, you know, so to me, when you start to make a peppercorn steak, for example, you see in a lot of steakhouses, you see like a black peppercorn steak where they literally crust the steak in the black peppercorn. I feel sick afterwards when I try to eat stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, there is there's a giant confusion. Perfectly said, Tom. I think there's a, a big confusion on how that should be done in the first place. The process of a, of a peppercorn steak is not to have whole peppercorn on top of your steak. Well, I know. They're not whole. They're, they're crushed, but they're well, still big. I've, I've, been in, I've had paper steak where you're literally like we're eating like, you know, three-quarter grains of paper. Uh-huh, I'm like, exactly. that's not the purpose. Originally, the purpose is you take the back of a pan or rolling pin and you really crush your papercorn really well and it's dusted on one side. I mean, that's overdone. If you crush it on both sides, you, your New York steak is gone. I mean, you know, it's like you don't have a, a your, your mouth is on fire and you don't have a flavor anymore. Yeah. I think much more importantly, a little bit of brown butter at the end right on top of your steak will give much more flavor and much more persona to your steak. And a, and a twist of a pepper grinder on top yeah. is much better than all that hard, crusty black pepper, in right. my opinion. Right. It just doesn't make me feel good afterwards. Right. right. And then and green, then, green peppercorn is the, uh, the brother-in-law that's not uh, very liked by the whole family. I understand totally, and I didn't like them for the longest time. And I've learned to like them more when I buy them dried. Right. And then I rehydrate them in white wine and maybe a little vinegar or water. Right. And I can get them to a place where I want to be. All the years I was cooking, green peppercorns always came in a tin, like a little tin can. Always. And they always tasted metallic, and it's like, why do people use these things? Yeah. They're just, they're gross. Yeah. So you can get rid of that whole flavor by rehydrating dried ones on your own and not dealing with any of that. Yeah, tin and the dry ones are definitely better flavor than the one in the juice. Pamela, sure. why don't you jump in here oh, real quick? Pink peppercorns. Let's deal. You, you came to my house once and said, I don't ever want to see another pink peppercorn <laughs> in a dish that you serve me again. But it turns out they're not peppercorns. Uh, and they're not peppercorns. They're just a humble berry yeah. from a tree that's been dry. But I think they got some of that. I like them. Character- I love them. I like them, especially in a cold situation. Cooking... Pink peppercorn, I'm, I'm not um, recalling anything that would really take me out of bed in the morning early, but um, <laughs> cold, Tom, when you, when you eat crushed pink peppercorn and you cook something very gently, let's say a, a pate, for example, I like to put pink peppercorn in there because when you eat that pate and you crush on that little piece of pink peppercorn. It's not a peppercorn, chef. I know. It's got a release. <laughs> but we call it. It's got a release that is really nice and fragrant. Not overstated and not too spicy, obviously. So I like, I like the flavor of that. 
But you're right. It is not a peppercorn. It's a berry. I, I get it. What's the so, one? So the... you are allowed now to use <laughs> pink berries. I hide them in my pantry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think they really became popular when goat the, cheese, the, the, when clear, <laughs> the clear spice grinders came out where you could mix all yeah. the different yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty. peppercorns. Right. And so they became you're very right, popular for, from a visual perspective. Uh, winter cocktails coming up next, so hang with us here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. You know what I can use right now, Chef Terry? Oh, what? Is a warm Irish coffee. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking about uh, St. Patty's Day, and I'm thinking about, uh, I was just got in in my uh, liquor room, a whole case of the Red Breast 12-year-old whiskey. Mm. Wait, you would use that for? for I would use it for anything. I'd bathe in it. (laughs) (laughs) But you would you would warm it up. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if that's what you have, yes, I would use it. Uh, Tillamore Dude works fine. All sorts of things. I'm Tom Douglas, by the way, and I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We're going to talk about wintertime cocktails. Pamela, do you have a favorite wintertime cocktail? Because my wife Jackie is a cocktail freak. She knows more than I do, that's for sure. But I, I can't get away from hot toddies. I, I think it's the perfect formula to take your favorite brown liquor, hot water, slice of lemon, maybe a dash of honey. But that, I keep it simple. I was looking at recipes, and everybody's putting in pomegranate and grapefruit and cinnamon. It's like, no. Well, amaros are the big thing in, in, yes. in all sorts of yeah. wintertime cocktails, right? Amaros are yeah. huge right now. I mean, I was telling you earlier, you know, hibiscus, uh, which is, you know, when it's dry, hibiscus makes a great broth, a great infusion. Tea, infusion, yeah. yeah. And use that as a base. So you take, what I do is I take red wine reduction with spices, cinnamon, So like mold clove, wine, is that what you're like saying? Like a mold wine, yeah. Okay. And you then said I, reduction, so I'm trying to, well, you I'm, just mean I, spice I bring red it wine? to a boil, okay. and then I let it steep with the spices okay, in it. Yeah. Like a mold wine idea. Yeah. And then uh, a dash of honey in there. And then I put the hibiscus um, tea with that. So it's basically taming down a little bit the red wine and giving it that extra tannic flavor from the hibiscus. And that makes a very nice base for a mold wine. Or, and then from that, if you want, you can add a little bit more booze. You can, I mean, there's a few alcohol you could add to that, such as vodka, eau de vie, you know, and you can definitely ramp up the, uh, the level of alcohol you're looking for if you're looking for alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, it's a hot toddy, but a, I call it the hot country French toddy <laughs> because <laughs> it's not really a toddy. It's more like a hot wine. And, and I like that in the wintertime. I don't, I probably have it once a year, if that. But I like, every time I have it, I go, oh yeah, it's so delicious, you know, to have a nice mold wine. Who doesn't want that? I well, want a hot buttered rum. I've been craving that. Yeah. Uh, I make a little hot buttered rum mix with literally with ice cream uh, as my base, a vanilla ice cream as my base. And, yeah, it's really good. That's a good way to See, get. Started. I like that. Melts so nicely. Honestly, <laughs> I like that so much better than just whipped cream or butter. Just yeah, butter. Yeah. I just like so much. That is the brilliant. Idea, idea of ice cream and hot. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Who works. doesn't like that? It's funny. I'd buy the liquor for our company, and it's just you can just see the things that start to sell in this time of year. Oh yeah, like uh, right now, Bailey's. Right? Yeah, people are yes. drinking Bailey's and coffee, just Bailey shots. Yeah, uh, Bailey's with uh, Irish whiskey in it. That's if I'm going to drink Bailey's, 
it's just too sweet for me. Yeah. So I have to. It cut, needs whiskey. I have to cut it with at least one to one. So maybe oh, two yeah. shots of Irish whiskey and one shot of Bailey's. Yeah, Taz, Taz, our, our bartender at Luke, uh, you know, when we were open at Luke, used to make a, a Bailey's that was like killer. And he makes, every year he gives us a bottle of his own Bailey's and he makes, ooh, that stuff doesn't last very long. It's gone before you know it. The other one I like is uh, if you ever go down to Portland, there's a place called Hubert's. Oh, yeah. Have you been to Hubert's? I have never. Literally, it's the way so it's H-U-B-E-R-T-S, Hubert's. And their specialty is turkey sandwiches and Spanish coffees. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stomach ache, but it's, it's worth it. Hilarious. I just love, I just love all, when do those turkey when sandwiches. Where those two have ever met in yeah, the first place? Yeah, uh, just, you know, on... Kind of trashy bread with trashy turkey and sure, trashy sure. gravy. And then they have a cart and they come around and everybody orders it. Everyone orders the Spanish coffee. It smells so good. And it's such a show, right? So because, what's in there? Tio Pepe or something? What is uh, it? You'd have to yeah. look up the exact recipe if you would. Um, but the important part about the Spanish coffee down there anyway is the show. And so they put, I want to say, uh, like a... Almost like a champagne glass, but a little bit bigger. Right. A little bit of uh, 151 or something. Sure, sure. Rum in there. And then they, or first they dip the rim in sugar, and then they put the 151 in and then turn the glass so that the alcohol is fire everywhere. is burning the sugar to the rim of the glass. When you flambe. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you end up getting this beautifully caramelized rim of the glass. And then uh, I want to say it's Tia Maria. Kahlua. Tia Maria. Tia Maria. Nutmeg. Triple sec. Lime juice, ah, little bit of lime, and coffee, right? And coffee, and coffee, yeah. So yeah. with whipped cream, so very sweet alcohols with <laughs> with coffee. That's well, and, cool. And the lime juice, and it, it's it's a it's a fun fun show, right? And it's a great way, you know. People don't shop anymore, but it's a great way when you're out shopping all day for the holidays or sure. something. Then you go to Hubert's in the afternoon, right. and you can really skip the turkey. I swear, it's okay. But and just sit there and with your buddies and have a couple of Spanish coffees. Yeah, what an awesome way to kind of fritter away the afternoon. It's the same as when we at, when we had Lule when we created the hot chocolate with brioche toasted and all that. My idea was people would be at Nordstrom and walk two blocks and you know it's cold, it's winter day, and they would get a nice cocoa hot hot chocolate. And the idea is to try to push a shot of cognac in there, so you have your spiked chocolate, hot uh-huh. chocolate. That's really delicious. If and how do people respond to it? Because I tried to do that. I think it's called Evangelines in Paris. Yeah, Evangeline. Yeah, yeah, Evangeline. Yeah, yeah. Men, yeah. You know, they got very well known for that very same thing. But right. the chocolate is too rich for me, man. It's, it's I don't some, do it's it like, like drinking chocolate cake. Yeah, I don't do chocolate like this. I do chocolate the way I was raised with, and, and much more liquid. The milk and the cream is much more prominent than the. Okay. Just the cocoa. It's not a ganache. I mean, some places are making hot chocolate. It looks like you could put a knife in it and the knife you would can. stand up. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not a hot chocolate. That's like a dream. Well, they and it's call like- them drinking chocolates to differentiate it, you know, to alert you that it is a different texture. Yeah. But it's but it's like it's pudding. like eating Hershey syrup out of a can. <laughs> well, it's like a melting it's like melting chocolate, totally and then enough. just go, you know, eat it uh-huh. like that. I mean. That's not what I was looking for. But. Well, you used to run Theo's chocolate. That, yeah. that. It was a big craze, and there were those special machines to keep it at the right temperature. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the emphasis was more that you wanted the chocolate Correct. in the molten form. Correct. Mm-hmm. Rather That's than exactly a what it is. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's good to have a little booze added to your chocolate or to your... <laughs> yeah, so there's nothing wrong there. Mm-hmm. And make it hot, you know, the whole thing. It's nice and, you know, it's reviving. 
You know, the last trend that I saw that I found very interesting was tea, using Earl Grey tea. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the things like Frangelico. Um, Which is an almond liqueur, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, or hazelnut. Hazelnut, uh, I think. Not positive. Uh, but it cut the combination of the tea and those sweet liqueurs ends up with a completely different result in the flavor. Right. Because of the two ingredients. Yeah, and Earl Grey would be a good carrier. That's a good well, I'm a new fan of Earl Grey. I didn't realize, um, I've never been a big tea person, but I've, in the last couple of months, I've really gotten into Earl Grey's, the bergamot, right? Yeah. That, that the oil that they put with the tea, that's just super fragrant. Because your daughter's living with you. I probably, <laughs> probably so. But here's, you know, I just, I'm not a fan of those big Tuwakas and Frangelicos and you know, even Kahlua and Bailey's are just too sweet for me. So I, I would suggest people try out, go get a couple of Amaros, look them up online, and really, they have sugar in them, but they also bring the savory side with yeah. the herbage. And I think, and, however, that Amaro does probably better cold or room temp than it does hot. Do you? Yeah, I think I think when you warm it up, it changes the uh, the the mouthfeel is and and the texture, or the flavor, and the mouthfeel is different. In terms of the beer, some some of those beers don't do well, been warmed well, up very well. But we had the two women on here that have the Ameri- uh, Americano, yeah, 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 yeah. company. Uh, I think it's called Fast Penny Spirits. Fast Penny yeah. Spirits, you got it. And uh, their Amaro is sweet enough that I think it could work like Correct. honey and herbaceousness right. in a hot cocktail. Right, right, right. I would suggest trying trying one of those. They've got great recipes local. on their website, too. Really? We've used some for some private parties, and they, they've got a master mixologist. Super Good fun. Recipes. Wow. You know, we're going to have a Love Stinks party here at the Hot Stove uh, on Valentine's evening. It'll be a fun way to kind of hang out and go around. We're going to do some social distancing and uh, have a good time. So uh, let's talk about when we come back some raclette, maybe. On mm. Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Well, welcome back. We are still you here smell in the kitchen. That? I you do smell, smell that. Annie's making carnitas over there, and she's not going to give me any. She says, I've eaten too much in my life. She said. She's cutting me off. She said that. We need it for pupusa class tonight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's the other reason. <laughs> More importantly. <laughs> Is it uh, all things masa tonight? No, it's pupusa. Oh, just pupusas. And ceviche. Mm, lovely. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Uh, we do have very fun classes here at the Hot Stove, so if you ever want to check out our website, go for it. Super fun. Uh, chef, love stinks. Love stinks. We're going to jump into your world right now because the French make a lot of stinky cheese more than we do here in the States. Because Probably. I think, uh, the, I think most importantly... We're naturally a little bit more afraid of yes, stinky I, cheese. Yes, I think that's what it is. Uh, I think they're more into it. That, we didn't grow up with it, right? Yeah. yeah. We had Velveeta in my household. And I must say that in France, even in France, we have some cheese and even I wouldn't touch. You know, like the one with the live worm on top and... I'm like, no, thank you. You got to yeah. move the worm to eat the cheese. I'm or like, the let maggot. the worm There's enjoy himself. The, there's the ones with the maggots on the outside? That's the one I'm talking about. Oh. oh, it's not worms. It's maggots, yeah. Oh, and, gross. And I'm like, you know, you know what? Let them eat. Yeah. I mean, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to share with them. All right, let's talk about... We're not going to do that here, right? So let's talk about... Uh, Pamela, maybe you know 
some of the cheeses that uh, you'd like to run by us to see if we approve of your Love Stinks categories? Well, the one that I've been focusing on to try to figure out how to pull off is the raclette service. Because it's the cheese, but it's also the manner in which the cheese is served. Mm-hmm. And I need some guidance on um, how to do that for a crowd. Because it's usually an after-ski thing. But the heritage of it I found fascinating. It was the snack that the shepherds ate in the fields tending their sheep. And they would heat up a rock. Like in a, fi- in a fire or something? Yep, yeah. in a fire. And I guess the word raclette means to scrape. Raclette so means, means to scrape. To scrape. Correct. So that's where the dish that's where got the word its comes name. From, yeah. So uh, the shepherds would put their be- humble cheese on the heated rock and then scrape it off and put it on top of boiled potatoes. And the sides with it were always some cornichon or some kind of pickle, yeah, pickle. and then other raw vegetables to dip into. And that just sounds like a perfect combination to have the melty cheese on a boiled potato. And so why do they call it? A, it's, it's, usually so the, you see a raclette so, iron, right, is what they call them. So normally, the way I've seen it, when I lived in Chamonix, I've seen a few raclette, a few parties of raclette. What they do is a, a raclette wheel, first of all, is pretty big. You know, think of, uh, of uh, what is that, a foot and a half? 10, 15-pound wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's, you know, it's about this thick. Mm-hmm. Four inches. It's about this big around, so it's a pretty big wheel. So what they do is they take the raclette and they cut it in the, either in half or quarter, and there's a, a board with a light on top, just like you would have a, a meat... Um, like a heat lamp? Kind like of a heat lamp kind of idea. And then... Um, so the way they do it is they sit the wheel inside that circle and they have, and they put the lamp right on top of it. So the lamp is hot enough to melt the cheese on top and right not into too hot. The bowl. Not, no, no, no. The, 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 the cheese stays there. And then you, as a, as, a, as a diner, you take your knife and you rock the cheese off because the top part of the, che- the lamp is not ah, hot enough to go it's all not the way hot enough to get all the way through yes. it's just hot enough to do the top layer which is why you raclette the top and you put it on your bread or on your potatoes and then you wait for the next layer to be melting as well does that make sense? Uh, mm-hmm. yes that's, and then, but that's top down that's a new way to think yeah. about it and then uh, side note wine to serve with that is a vin de Savoie Yes. They have some vents of water that are really, really appropriate to go with that. Inexpensive, too. Yeah. Yes. Because they're so hot. They're rare. You uh-huh. know, there's not that much that gets made and very few that comes in this country. Bracing acidity. Yeah. You need some Love good it. acidity. And, and also acidity with a little, almost like a little oxidation, mm. which is really good. But um, a, bu- a, a petillant. Yeah. Something with a yeah. l- l- little sparkle. So to go back to the cheese, it's um, the, the reason. So if you do a party, let's say you have 15, 20 people, right? You take a half of that wheel and you sit it in that circle, you know, which is basically a board, uh, a, an angle board like this, right? It's like you have one board coming down, one board, one vertical, one yeah, horizontal. And a little spike to hold it. Yeah. And then you put the, the wheel in there. And then that heat lamp is, a, is almost like a, like a, it's a heat lamp, but it goes right on top of the cheese. About three, four inches, maybe six inches from the from the cheese, and it slowly melts the cheese. <coughs> you have a party because everyone walks up to the cheese and then put it on top of their plate, their potatoes or whatever, and it's an ongoing process. It's not like 
the whole wheel gets melted at once. Right. It's I not a fondue. That. That's why where the scraping is Correct. really important to expose the next layer. Correct. So why am I always thinking about a raclette iron? Because, because if you look um, an iron if you look online at a raclette iron, yeah. uh, you don't really see any iron. You just see the heat lamp. Or that because that's what it is. I, I think I they call it. it why they, do they call it an iron? I don't know. Because they sell a lot of those griddle-style <laughs> pans, but it's the heating from the bottom. I thought maybe it was like the creme brulee iron, where you put oh, the no. iron in the heat, get it super hot, and then you hold it over top of the raclette, to kind no. of the, the radiant heat. No, I've never seen that. And I think that if you think about what Pam said, the story comes from the rock. You know, okay. they would have a rock, they would put the cheese, so the cheese melts. A rock is never, I mean, unless you get your rock, like... Super, super hot. It would melt the entire wheel. But, you know, first of all, the farmers would not have, the, 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 the guy would not have a, a piece of cheese that's like 20 pounds big, right? So <laughs> probably a five pound big maximum. So it would melt it slowly but surely. And then you scrape it, put it on your potatoes, and then put it back on the rock, melt the next layer, yep. and put that on your bread. All right, so what's the next cheese then? So, uh, Well, this is where I need some guidance from your memory of I the want palace kitchen. You want a poisse? Yes. I want to talk about goat Tom, cheese I told fondue, you. though. Goat cheese fondue. Give me the secret of how I get the perfect texture. And what kind of goat cheese don't do you recommend? It. Whatever you do, <laughs> well, no. don't boil it. Start with white wine. Don't start with goat cheese. Oh. <laughs> no, we don't use any white wine in ours. No? No, we just did fresh chive, cream, and oh, cream. either chive, okay. or, uh, chive or lavender. I like to put a little bit of white wine because it gives a little tanginess into the cheese. But it can also to break the... it if you're not careful. Oh, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Ooh, that would yeah. be embarrassing. Yeah. Well, that's why I said don't start with the cheese because if you start with the cheese, you will definitely have some issues. You need to make sure that cheese gets liquefied a little bit so it can be taking the heat. Because if you just put goat cheese in the pot, it will melt and then separate. But yeah. that's not really stinky. You know that. That's a fresh shove. And so that's... Is well, it a fresh shove? That's yeah. why I was wondering if we yeah. could... Uh, it's not like Boucheron well, you or could use, You could use... I mean, for fondue, you could use just about anything. You no, don't she was talking use... specifically the palace one, so... But for your, for your love stick, you could use a, a Comté or a Gruyere and melt that slowly down, again, with a little white wine. And then at the end, you put toasted walnut, you know, on top of the, the serving... You have a so wonderful. What does, um, if you wanted to do Gruyere into like a beer or a beer cheese, yeah, or beer would be something. Any sort of like fondue kind of cheese. Uh, citric acid seems to eliminate some of the breaking issues. Correct. Oh. Uh, I, we which is which is also why I start with white wine, dry white wine, because it helps. That acidity helps. You bring the white wine to a boil, and then you cut your your cheese, let's say Gruyere, in small pieces, and then put it into your your. And again. Low heat. You're not looking for high heat. You're looking for low heat. And then let, it that, let that melt slowly and then mix it, the whole thing together so it gets incorporated. And it will keep your cheese together. So look at that. Look at the recipes yeah, when you're making fondues. What other stinky cheese are we serving? Well, we're, uh, Annie and I have been looking through Peterson's and uh, Merlino's list for an intense blue. Uh-huh. But I don't, I'm, fum I don't have an They have fum d'ambert. Yeah. yeah. I know they have fum d'ambert at uh, Peterson, or they used to. My favorite stinky cheese are all wash rind cheeses, right. right? They are really stinky. And you can't it get a lot of them in this country. Stuff. Yeah, so, so what, anything local that you know of that's wash rind like that, that has some funk to it? Local. I can't think of anything. Well, no, the only thing I can think of is in terms of stinkiness local would be rogue. For their blue, mm-hmm. and then Rookford. That's what I was talking about. 
Oh, but Roquefort, that's like the most famous blue Roquefort. cheese in the world. Yeah. That's, well. That's a good one. Roquefort is a good I one. Know, it can get stinky. Oh, it's definitely. Definitely stinky. It's got some funk. How would you serve it? Just a wedge? I would serve, yeah, I would serve it crustini, apple slice. It's probably, I mean, the best way to have blue is to try not to have it. Number one, have it at the end. Because once you have blue, you never go back. No, go back. <laughs> <laughs> you just, that's a, you know, when you have a cheese, I, I remember having a cheese. Uh, we had five cheeses on the tray at, at, um, at Rover's. Now, remember to always explain to people, eat the blue last. Yeah, from yes. uh, mildest to the stinkiest. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. If you want to come join us for a Valentine's, just go to thehotstovesociety.com and uh, sign up for our, our Love Stinks uh, event. It's going to be super fun. Pam and I are going to be there. It must be fun. Must be fun. You going to join us, Chef? Absolutely. If All it right. stinks, I'm here. All right. <laughs> We'll see you soon on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. Rub With Love rocks your pantry with versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that pop with flavor. Look for our new taco rub around town, pizza spice, uh, jerk spice, you name it. We've got a bunch of different new products around the town. of PCC in downtown Seattle is carrying it, along with Hagen's Grocery Stores from uh, Bellingham to Olympia. Or you can, uh, if all else fails, come down to the Rub Shack down in the Pike Place Market area or TomDouglas.com. Pamela, uh, you are in charge of not only the questions but the answers, which I, <laughs> I find hard to take sometimes. And then also oh, I you, why. you know the rules to the game, so why don't you tell everyone listening how to play along with us and who's going to win today? Well, three contestants, Tom, Terry, and Chef Annie. Okay. Each are going to get five questions. And the winner gets the most right. Ooh. Boy, fame and glory right there. <laughs> uh, Just bragging rights. <laughs> and Terry likes to get the ball rolling. Sure, go right so ahead. Who's our winner? Do we know? The prize today is going to go to Eric Sutterman. He's a gentleman that works at Lola, and he entered our cartoon contest that we had, which was to provide a caption for broccoli laying on a therapist's couch. Um, and I'll reveal that winning caption. Who, who had this contest? It was an uh, internal one for our employees. Oh. And he came up with a very clever solution. All right. So he's our winner. He's our winner. And uh, the loser pays for shipping. Yes, to Eric. He works, he works downstairs. He works downstairs, so you have to walk it downstairs, <laughs> Annie, because we all know you're going to be the loser. We'll see about that. Terry Rotro. What does the Italian term al fresco mean? Al fresco means, means uh, outdoor, like fresh. Dining outdoors, yes. What is the mildly smoked French Bayonne ham cured in? Salt, sugar, and belief. Wine. Oh, wine, too. <laughs> How could you not know that answer, Chef? You're French. I've never made a jambon bayonne in my life. I've made many other jambon, but not the jambon bayonne. So oh. I guess I'm going to have to put that one future. on my things to do. Now you know. In your things to do. 
where is the inexpensive beef cut of chuck from on the animal? What part of the animal? The bottom part, the, uh, the back, leg, back leg, top of the back leg part. Oh, my God. It's between the neck and the shoulder, usually shoulder with a oh, blade shoulder. bone. Huh. Yeah. I'm looking what? at Tom the whole time. I love, I love he looked at me. Well, I'm trying to see where the chuck is because yeah. I'm... What is the best way to cook a thin cutlet? The best way? Yeah. Oh, well, most people would bread it, but that's not my cup of tea. I just like brown butter, pan fry quickly, like very, very, very fast. That's the most important part of a thin cutlet. Um, don't correct cook answer. It. Don't yes. Don't cook it forever. <laughs> what is the distinguishing characteristic of a grapefruit knife? It's got, um, at the end, it's got teeth, number one, on the blade, and at the end, it's got a... Uh, like a fork looking like thing it's like two prongs exactly yes what's your score three three, or four? three. Annie Ooh, three out of five Annie, Annie. Annie. Uh, Annie is one of the rocks that holds this place together around here in case you don't remember her from previous episodes on the show Annie Elmore she's our rock what country developed goulash Hungarian yay oh Hungary number two Are you married <laughs> what? to a Hungarian family uh, my husband is half. Half, okay. Yes. What are the main ingredients in the Spanish soup gazpacho? Tomato. Yep. Can you name another one, too? Cucumber. Yay! Woohoo! Oh. You're so international. I, I know. know. You're so like, wow, I'm impressed. She's <laughs> so awesome. She's got all of Asia in her blood, and now she knows all about Europe, too. I know. <laughs> this is a gimme. What is the most important step in making fried rice? Fried the rice. <laughs> before, before. No, before. Oh, before. Uh, cook the rice correctly. And then what? Um, and then you dry it. Yes. And chill it. Yes. Yes. Hooray! <laughs> Tom is rolling his eyes right now. Would you, like, would you like another rope to pull the next word out? <laughs> uh, number four. What is kombu? It is seaweed, dry seaweed. Yes. What is the name of the clam named after a shaving implement? Shaving, like shave stuff for your face? Sure. <laughs> or wherever. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you said Razor clam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that took a while. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say butter clam. I was like, you shave with butter? <laughs> uh, did she get five for five? Yes, five okay. out of five. Let's oh, just say, let's just say three and a half push to I five. Like I was cut by a razor there. <laughs> you were. You are supposed to be my friend, Pamela. Tom Douglas. Her. How many clues on that one answer did you get? <laughs> All of them. Number one, what is lutefisk? It's fish. More. It's cured fish. What fish? Oftentimes cod. Cod. Okay. We're giving it to you, barely. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> I should get three points for that. Why yeah. do we pasteurize milk? Oh, why do we pasteurize milk? To kill uh, unwanted organisms. Yep. To yeah. kill bacteria, bacteria that transmits diseases. Please describe a tian. Uh, a tian spell it, spell is it. a T-I-A-N. Yeah. 
uh, it's my least favorite way to have vegetables. But you have a recipe for one in one of your books. Um, well, that's besides the point. But it, uh, Jackie loves it. That's probably why it ended up in. So anyway, it's a thin sliced uh, vegetables that are kind of layered with each other in a roasting pan. And uh, oftentimes it's zucchini, uh, a little uh, eggplant could be a little one of the round eggplants. Yeah, um, yeah. He's blah, catching blah, blah. up to you, Annie. <laughs> three out of three. <laughs> when you ask for omakase at a Japanese restaurant, um, what is the meaning? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that means that you think very highly of the chef and you're going to let him cook for you. Yeah. Or, or her. Yeah, yeah. Or them. Yes, yes. And finally, is head cheese a meat or a cheese? Well, if, when it comes to Annie Elmore, it's <laughs> definitely cheese because she's a cheese head. Uh, but it is generally the head parts of a pig, uh, typically, the, that they kind of uh, cook up. And the gelatin from the cooking process yes. holds it all together. Yes. So it has the jowl. It's the delicious. Eyelid. You nailed it. Five for five. Which wow, makes, uh, I am the big loser today. Which makes our friend Terry Rotero in charge of shipping. <laughs> to Lola downstairs. To yep. Lola downstairs. It's a long walk there, buddy. You know what? You got to do it. If you want to be part of our, our show, you can join in the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show and watch us do it live. Or buy tickets to attend the stove at the Hot Stove Society website. Or just email us and be part of the show. There you go. You're listening to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio, 97.3, of course. And uh, our show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and Sean Don't Call Me Dottore. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society Show, you can listen via podcast. Uh, we sub- we uh, suggest it. Uh, subscribe with your favorite podcast app. You have yourself a wonderful, wonderful weekend.